0: Good morning. We are going to worship the Lord, and you're welcome to join us. Let's rise.
1: good morning good morning thank you for your patience with the lights just like the rest of the world right now ah, what's happening um, I asked Dennis if I could be the one that uh, just kind of welcomed you and then put my mom hat out on and uh, asked a couple things uh, okay stop Got really excited there for a minute and now my brain We had a discussion about how my brain, it just takes a little nap every once in a while. Like, that would have been a good sentence if I could remember it. (laughs) Anyways, I want to tell you something. I want this to be more, I'm putting my mom mom hat on. Because do you ever have family meetings? Where like you gather people together and say, this is important. So um, I want to tell you something as the mom. So Jason is leading worship this morning. And he is taking the place of Rachel. Who, uh, whose grandfather died, Jerry Noble. Um, and so the family is gathering and doing what families do. Jason has just, Jason and Bonnie, Bonnie has just completed her first week in Rogue Regional Medical Center. Do you know, she, you might know this, you might not know, is it okay if I, cause I, <laughs> I got the mic, so I guess so. Um, so here's Jason. At the end of the first week of Bonnie being in um, do, you, do you call it like a birthing what do you call it? holding cell a hol- holding <laughs> holding cell. OK, I, I wouldn't have gone there, but yes, uh, it's because she is pregnant with these high-risk twins. It's a suite. Yeah, it's a suite. What's that? A sweet, a holding suite. Okay, that's better. Um, anyways. And welcome to you. Sorry, uh, you guys are online with us. We're so glad that you're here. And I want you to feel there is no miles with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to feel this kind of family meeting that I'm trying to share right now. So Jason, after uh, Bonnie's going to be in there for the rest of this pregnancy now. So minimum end of October. So it's a long time in the hospital. COVID. They have this. Is Dominic six now? Seven, can't see his mom for two months, um, monitored uh, periodically every day because they will, because of the nature of the kind of twin is, I I won't go into that because I'm so good with medical terms, so um, I don't want to mess that up too. So Jason said he would fill in for Rachel because he needs worship. Okay, I, I, I thought that that was, it was such a treasure to me because a lot of times when we are in the middle of a mess or a storm or whatever it is that you want to call it, do we say, I need worship, or do we back up and say, Lord, you come to me, I'm not going to come to you. We run to worship. And here an example. I wish that I could tell you the story of other band members here who are here and most of them so regularly and you just we assume things we don't know what people are going through we just assume oh they like to play the guitar so they come and play a church you have no idea what they went through the last the week before what he this is the first week of many weeks this is a season of trusting God with every moment and every breath both for Bonnie and for these twin little girls. This is a season for this family to learn how to trust God, uh, especially when Jason cooks. (laughs) (laughs) So there is a meal train if you're still like, if you're still, you know, can stand Facebook. There is a uh, meal train on that. That's not what I'm up there here for. I just want you to see that there are people standing in faith no matter what is happening around, that he is the eye of the storm for us. So if you have stuff, realize that there are people very intentionally choosing to come here and sit here and stand here and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. And in your section, you don't know that you're leading, but you could be the lead worshiper in your section by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And maybe the person next to you is just like, I barely got here, but I'm here. Yay. And let someone sing over you. And then let that song of the Lord, because Satan cannot out-shout the song of the Lord. So when you go back, you know we've talked about you know if you're happy, sing songs. That James, uh, that mandate for us: if you're happy, sing songs, and you, you know when you praise. I, I feel like you need to praise in sacrifice and abundance. But James is talking about happy. And then if you're sick, or you you have stuff in your backpack. There are, are signs that say prayer in the back, and those people will stand in agreement with you, with the, the heart of God over your situation, where the when the enemy comes in. Like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against them. We, <laughs> we are in a, a, a time when we don't want to pray less. We want to pray more. Don't leave as heavy as you walked in. There aren't any donuts. But, you know, like leave, <laughs> leave lighter in your heart because someone stood with you and agreed and said, God, we are standing at the, at the foot of the cross together and saying you are what we need and we are looking to you the author and the finisher of our faith so we're praying together now god i pray for miracles in this place i pray for renewed faith in this place i pray for stirring of hearts in this place that have gotten discouraged or just plain tired i thank you my father by the power of the holy spirit that there will be anticipation of your hand going before us and anticipation of your word spoken into us that says life and not death. The enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have seen that in multiple ways this week. But you have said, I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. And we will stand in that place. And we will lift our hands. And we will lift our voice and say, it is you we seek. It is you we worship. And it is you that we say amen to. So, and all the people say Amen.
0: Have something to say too uh, yeah my wife is we are expecting twins um, that that was not our plan that was not our plan that was God's plan our oldest is 19 almost 20 so it was not in our plans to uh, have two more babies but God had his plans amen and it is a blessing At times, we can walk through these days and all the stuff and the chaos happening around us. It gets overwhelming. And uh, sitting in a situation where I'm at home and I can't see my wife every day in person, thank God for FaceTime, but it's hard. But there was a moment that Bonnie and I were on the phone, and we prayed together over the phone. But there was a moment that I just closed my eyes, and in silence, I thought about God and His goodness and His love and what He does. And all of a sudden, all the darkness and all the bad things, all the chaos and all the stuff just went away. And I was able to smile. Now, again, I have a lot to be thankful for and to smile about in my life. I do, but sometimes with all the stuff happening around us, it gets a little hard, you know? And the one thing I'll say is just, if you're ever in that position, close your eyes, think about God, think about what He does in our lives, who He is, and smile. Colossians 3. I know there's a lot more to this, but I'm going to read one part that just stands out to me. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden within Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm shaking. God is so good. Let's see if I can sing one more song. I know you're all with me, and I love you all. My community, my family, my brothers, sisters, you all are amazing. And God is so amazing, and his grace is amazing. That's why we're singing this song right now. There's reasons that Rachel couldn't be here and I stepped up to sub in like Jeanette said. It's just, it's a God thing. He works so good and he works in amazing, mysterious ways sometimes, but amazing ways.
2: There's that wonderful promise in Scripture: Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed, that's right. That's right. which is a wonderful thing. And I think in the midst of so much inconvenience in our life, it's easy for us, especially because we're not used to being inconvenienced, are we? <laughs> that's 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 not our normal lifestyle. That in the midst of all of that, it's easy to begin to get frustrated and it's easy to begin to kind of feel like, oh, life's not fair and how come this happened and how come that happened? It's just easy to slip into that place, I think. And here we are going, wait a minute, I've been set free. I've been set free. I'm above that. That's not part of who I am. It's not part of what my orientation should be. And so, Jesus, I want to thank you for the actual freedom that we have in you not the freedom we have in Thomas Jefferson, though that's pretty cool, but the freedom that we have in you that is above all of those other things and all of those other concerns. It's Paul and Silas singing in a jail. (laughs) It's Peter being led out of a jail by an angel. It's Job going through horrific circumstances. And maintaining his faith there is a freedom that we have that is beyond circumstances is beyond situations it's beyond inconvenience it's beyond preference for those whom the sun sets free are free indeed so jesus i pray that you would help us to live in that freedom to honor that to be people who accept the responsibility of being free people way easier sometimes to just let people tell you what to do but to actually be free and say, I have choice. I can choose to respond in faith. I can choose to respond in fear. I can choose to respond in frustration. I am free. The son has set me free. I pray that we would live up to our freedom, that we would honor you in all that we say and do, that we would live lives of righteousness, that we would live lives of goodness and of caring, of honoring and preferring and sharing. God, help us to exercise our freedom. To be the people whom the son has set free thank you for that father in the midst of this test thank you for that in your name we pray amen 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 Amen. god bless you say hi to some people around you they look lonely they need
3: Carissa, and I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. We would love to connect with you. So I'd like to draw your attention to our connect card. You can find one in the pew in front of you, or you can access it online at parkwaycc.com slash connect card. You can also use this connect card to submit any prayer requests or praise reports that you may have. We would love and be honored to come alongside you in prayer.
2: Hi, Pastor Dennis here. We are so proud and so excited about all of our volunteers we've decided to do something special this labor day weekend so on sunday the 5th of september we want to give all of our volunteers the day off well except for some of the security people but everybody else gets the day off and so to pull that off the staff's going to try to do everything that normally gets done by volunteers which we probably won't do all that well but we're going to give it our best shot and we're going to have a special service it's going to be a family service kids, grandkids, grandmas and grandpas, we're all doing church together. We're gonna to have a special kid sermon that Pastor Bethany's gonna do during the middle of the service. We've got some special handouts and little packets for all of our kids to keep them busy during the service. We're gonna have a great time. Then we're gonna go outside, we're gonna have a big barbecue dinner together. We just wanna say thank you to all of our volunteers who are such tremendous people that do such incredible work every week in and out so that we can have the kind of services that we've become used to. So we're saying thank you to you. You get the day off. We're going to pull this thing together and we're going to do it in honor of you. So come join us on the 5th of September for a special service and barbecue.
3: Junior Bible Quiz is starting their 21-22 season in September. JBQ was designed to help kids kindergarten through sixth grade develop a love for the Bible. The JBQ Fact Pack has a set of questions that give kids a strategic overview of God, the Bible, and basic theology. JBQ is a great family ministry. Not only do you learn Bible facts together, but we play games, earn prizes, go on trips, and have a lot of fun. It is a great way for your family to come together and learn the Word of God. So if you are intrigued and want to find out more, come to our first session. There's no obligation. It's on September 12th before service at 845 over in the Ed Wing. Or if you want to learn more about JBQ or register, you can do that online at parkwaycc.com slash JBQ. JBQ! Hi everyone, I'm Jamie. So we were created to connect. Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time for everything and an activity for everything under the heavens. Well, like it or not, summer is almost over, but fall is bringing a new season of beginnings here at Parkway. We have a lot of different ways for you to connect right where you're at in your current season. From Bible studies where you can grow in your relationship with God, and care groups where you can know and be known, to ministries that support you in more difficult seasons like divorce care, wildflowers, and celebrate recovery. All ministries that are designed to help you go from crisis to stability. So go online at parkwaycc.com connect and check out all the different ministries that are kicking off here in September. Get connected.
2: So Pastor Kylie is in Iceland. I'm for real. Her family decided that'd be a cool place to go, so off they went. Yeah, I want to go sometime. I hey, think it's really cool there. But what that means is that if you're in middle school, this is the seventh best day of your life. If you're in middle school, it's the seventh best day of your life, because you get to stay in here and hear me. So it's the seventh best day of your life. That's, that's how I did the math. There have been six other days that were better but this is the seventh best day you've ever had. So lucky you. And uh, Kylie will be back from Iceland next week. And uh, middle school will get to go have the eighth best day of their life. No. (laughs) So we're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a screen or a Wi-Fi enabled device that gets you to some sort of scripture, if you can find Luke chapter 5... Verse 27, that's where we're going to be. You remember last week, uh, we talked about the guy, though, they tore the roof off the house and they let the guy on the cot down in front of Jesus and that whole thing, and it's the first mention of the Pharisees and the ones that ended up being opposed to Jesus in some pretty strong terms. They were first introduced to us uh, in that that conflict. This conflict is going to eventually end up in Jesus' crucifixion. That's where that conflict is going to go. And his opponents are going to try to say publicly that the issue is theological. Uh, And and the fact is, the issue is profit and control, which the high priest admits at Jesus' trial, if you've read that portion of Scripture. So Jesus is going to be declared as a heretic for claiming to be the Son of God in spite of the evidence to the contrary. In fact, the real problem is not that there isn't enough evidence that he is the Messiah, it's that there's too much evidence that he's the messiah and they can't let it get out of control. So it's not going to be because of the evidence, it's going to be in spite of the evidence. Have you, have you noticed any opinions on television, internet, social media where the opinion was in spite of the evidence? Yeah, you're not all talking about the same point of view by the way. <laughs> Cuz some of you in your head just went, "Uh-huh." And then some of you went, in your head went, "Uh uh-huh, and you were talking about the opposite opinion when you said that. And you're going, all those other people are holding that opinion in spite of the evidence. It's immensely clear. (laughs) That's what's going to happen with Jesus. Humanity hasn't changed an awful lot. We make up our minds and then we push the facts out of the way and just keep going. So that's what's going to happen with Jesus. But this conflict is pretty early now. The sides haven't really got entrenched. There's still some Pharisees that are looking. Remember Nicodemus? We know you're a man sent from God. No one could do the miracles that you do unless God were with him. I mean, so we got some Pharisees that are trying to decide. Some of them have already decided, ah, oh, this guy's a heretic. We got to stop him. Some of them are going, ah, oh, I'm not sure yet. Some of them are going, I think he might actually be the Messiah. We should check this out. See, so the, the opinions haven't solidified. You know, the, the hardening of the categories hasn't happened yet. And people are, are still working on this thing. And, and Jesus is about to do something in this passage we're going to read that's going to make the conflict worse. You know, he's, he's not going to help himself in the sense of this conflict by what he's about to do next. Matthew, or sometimes referred to as Levi, I, I don't know, you know it's bad enough that there's like 28,000 Josephs in the Bible, so you're never quite sure which one you're talking about, and then the guys whose names you do think you know have two names, and then you're going, oh, that's confusing. So I, I'll just help you. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, one of the 12 apostles, he's also referred to as Levi, so there's, there's this other designation, right? Saul and Paul and, you know, all that kind of thing. All right, so Matthew is going to become one of the 12 disciples. We know that it's going to happen a few verses later in the story in Luke. But we also know that this other guy by the name of Simon the Zealot is going to become one of the 12. Now, These titles sometimes don't mean much to us, and I think because of that we lose a little bit of what's going on in the story because these are social, political, cultural titles. So Simon, his last name is not Zealot. He's Simon who is a zealot. We have Matthew who is a sinner or a tax collector. So that's his profession, but mostly they just refer to him as sinners. These are social-political designations. These are the buzzwords that are in the labels that are flying around on the Internet. And Jesus is about to pick a sinner tax collector Matthew to join the 12 and he's got this other guy on his short list who is Simon the Zealot let me so let me put that into to kind of maybe our setting Simon the Zealot is going to be this ultra right-wing nationalist that's that's how we would perceive him and know him he is one of these guys that says Israel is for the Jews and for the Jews only and while he may not have been overly religious, there is certainly the fact that religious thought would have been wound up in his conservative politics. So we've got, we got Simon the Zealot. Let's see, this is your right side. Simon the Zealot is far right. He's like off screen, out of camera, way over here someplace, okay? He's not right leaning. He's already fallen over, Okay. <laughs> So just put that in in, in our kind of category, Simon the Zealot, ultra-nationalist, ultra-right-wing, ultra-patriotic, has got religious ideas that are wrapped up in his conservatism. That's Simon the Zealot. Matthew, who does show an amazing knowledge of the Old Testament Scriptures if you read his Gospel, would have been perceived by someone like Simon as being a sympathizer with oppressors if he was not in fact an outright traitor. So he, Matthew is as far left as you can get as Simon was right. And here is Jesus saying, let me put those two guys on the team. This is going to work out well. <laughs> See, you see, Matthew and his friends, they would have considered themselves to be kind of political realists. I mean, they, they knew that Rome wasn't going to be successfully resisted, and the destruction of Jerusalem 35 years later, when they actually tried to resist Rome, was pretty good indication that they were right. Jerusalem was completely destroyed by Titus, the Roman general. So they thought going along was probably a better choice than rebellion. Simon, on the other hand, would have seen that as selling out, as being willing to compromise your integrity for the sake of money. So I I say all of that as part of our understanding of what we're reading, that when we read about Jesus going to Matthew's house and eating with other sinners and tax collectors, that's huge. Here's a guy claiming to be the Messiah, and he's hanging out with those kind of people. But at the same time, he's hanging out with Simon the Zealot, the guys that have swords and spears stashed in the closet and under the mattress looking for an opportunity to murder a Roman soldier when they get a chance. Jesus is hanging out with both of these kind of people. And that's part of what's going to fuel the conflict between him and the Pharisees. I, I, I hope that in our highly divided culture, can we just admit that that's the truth without campaigning that our side is right? Can you just admit with me we're pretty divided as a culture? Yeah, okay. So we're not going to settle who's right. That's up to Jesus. But let's just admit our culture is probably similar to the one Jesus was in. There are really strong opinions on all sides. And a lot of those views get wrapped up with religion. That's always amazing to me. You know, I got some guy that's just living like a pagan, and he throws a Bible verse into one of his speeches. You know, I'm going, do you have a speech writer whose grandma used to go to church? Where did you get that? You know, because you've obviously never been close enough to Jesus to know that verse. Where in the world did you find that? And it's on all sides. Jesus is in the same way. These guys are all quoting Old Testament scriptures, and they're just highly divided. That in our culture, for us to figure out that Jesus can become greater in our thinking and greater in our lifestyles, and that in humble, obedient submission to His Lordship, we could actually have unity in the church in spite of this stuff. I'm telling you, I got Simon the Zealot, I got Matthew the tax collector, there's only 12 of them. There's no room to hide your opinion. And Jesus pulls them together. And somehow they operate as one. I don't know how Jesus pulled that off, but he did, which tells me if it's happened before, it can happen again. And that somehow in this highly divided culture of ours, there is a way for the church of Jesus Christ to love one another as Christ has loved us to in honor prefer one another above ourselves, and to serve one another in love, bearing with one another and forgiving one another the way that Christ has forgiven us. There's a way to do that. I, I honestly don't know how Jesus did it, other than he's just Jesus. But what happened if Jesus just became Jesus in us? then maybe the tax collector and the zealot could sit on the same row at church. <laughs> Luke chapter 5, verse 27. I told you I'd get there, but I just wanted you to understand the setting. After this, Jesus went out and saw, t- after, you know, the whole lowering the guy and lifting him up. and uh, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. I've always got... That that has to be an abbreviation of the conversation, doesn't it? I mean, my goodness gracious, you're some sort of shop owner, some guy you've never seen before, walks in and says, follow me and heads out the door, you don't just throw, throw the business away and leave. There had to be more to the conversation than that. But that's what happened. So Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, here's why. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, obviously, the Pharisees were the biggest sinners in the room and didn't, need, didn't know they needed to repent. Levi at least was honest enough, or Matthew was at least honest enough to admit that he was a sinner and needed help. But Jesus is going, wherever I find a sinner, I'm going to go talk to him about the gospel. I'm going to tell him the truth about who they are in God. I'm going to tell them the truth about who they are without God and how God can fix their life. I mean, he, he's, I'm going to go do this, right? It's a woman at the well thing. He says, I'm going to go do this. So here's Jesus. He's doing the wrong thing with the wrong people one more time. So I mean, there just, are just some questions that came up. And so these are, these are like almost free. Because, you know, we haven't had the offering yet, so, you know, there's, there's still a chance for you to go, oh, that was good, I'll give him a buck for that one. <laughs> Can we ever get a hold of the fact that Jesus is just plain greater than any of our prejudices? Can we ever get a hold of the fact that Jesus is greater than our distinctions? Can we ever get a hold of the fact that at the foot of the cross, Humanly created distinctions no longer apply because Jesus restores each and every one of us to being truly human. All of us who are descended from the same parents and created by the same God. I I just think they're good questions to ask. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3.11. He says, here in the body of Christ... There is no Gentile or Jew, which is huge for a Pharisee to say, because he thought that was all there was on the planet. There was Jews, and then there were all those ugly, nasty Gentiles. That's all there was, as far as he was concerned. And so for him to make this statement is enormous. There's no Gentile, there's no Jews. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised, which is kind of another way of saying Gentile or Jew, only it's a little cruder. He says there's no barbarians, which, you know, eventually overdid Rome. <laughs> He's referring to Sorry, it's referring to all the Germans, <laughs> the barbarians, the Scythians, slave or free. That's enormous in this culture. You've either had standing, you either owned property, or you were owned. There just was very little that we would think of as middle class. The closest you could get to middle class was to be a really well educated, valuable slave. And then you got certain privileges. But you still didn't own property you had no standing in court couldn't vote none of that paul's going hey in the church slave or free i that's one of the things that just baffled the romans about the christian church is that they had women who were slaves standing up front doing things and they're going that makes no sense at all those people have completely lost their mind honestly read read the writings of the of the romans They were willing to give the fact, well, you know, they say this guy raised from the dead that we crucified. I don't know. Could be true. They were more flabbergasted, not by the resurrection from the dead, but the fact that women slaves had positions of authority in the church. Freaked them out completely. Paul says, hey, in the church... No Jew, no Gentile, no circumcised, no uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free, for Christ is all and is in all. No distinctions. But I'm going to set you up with this one. At the same time, Scripture talks about human differences that shouldn't be ignored and that can actually be harmful to us and to those around us. So in 1 Corinthians 15.33... St. Paul says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He's quoting a Greek philosopher there. That's why in some of your Bibles you'll see that in quotes. He says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. I want you just to hang on to that and go, how do we reconcile that? Let's just kind of work our way through it and, and see how we can reconcile that. We have in the inclusion of Simon the Zealot and Matthew the Tax Collector and the Circle of the Twelve Apostles. As I said, these men come from the opposite ends of the cultural divides within the Jewish nation, and yet somehow they find this common ground in Jesus. So you got Jesus hanging out with the wrong people. He's doing the wrong kinds of things. And all the while, he's rebuking his critics about the fact that the lost need saving. And in that same book that gives us all of that information, we have this warning to the church, be careful about the influence that happens in your life. So what gives? I I think we can begin to find an answer in the little book from Paul, the letter from Paul to his friend Titus. right? So can you find Titus? Let's follow along and let's, let's take a look at it. See, you could start in the back. Revelation... 3 John, 2nd John, 1st John. Oh no, Jude. 3rd John, 2nd John, 2nd Peter. Hebrews, James, Philemon, Titus. There we go. Did you find it? Okay. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Paul's letter to Titus. He says, the reason I left you in Crete. That's the very same Crete we have now. It's an island off the coast of Greece. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and that you might appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So here's the criteria for leadership. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Fairly high standard, isn't it? It's one of the reasons often when we talk to men in the congregation about being an elder at the church, they, they, they reference a verse like that and go, I'm not sure I qualify. <laughs> Which is one of the first qualities we're looking for because the guy that walks up and says, hey, I got it nailed, you need me. <laughs> that guy's already off base. <laughs> the, the whole humble thing, <laughs> okay, you've just disqualified yourself <laughs> by your arrogance. But that's a, a pretty high bar, isn't it? I mean, you just read through that. That's a, that's a pretty good guy, right? Yeah. Here's the threat, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. This is this, the same group that was after Jesus, okay? Especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced. Ooh, that's a pretty strong response. Why? Because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and they're doing it for the sake of dishonest gain. They're lying to make money. So I got a pretty, I got a pretty high bar, don't I, for leadership? It's up here someplace. And I have a very credible, credible threat. The people that Paul mentions in this letter are the ones who will have him executed in Rome. So these are pretty high stakes. Now, look at the available pool of potential leaders. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are, which is where we get the phrase, Cretans are always liars, they are evil brutes, and they are lazy gluttons. And that poet was correct. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith, pay no attention to Jewish myths or to merely human commands of those who reject the truth. (laughs) Whoa. Okay, we've got a bunch of liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons that have to attain to the standard of leadership that we just put out there as being pretty high because we have a very real threat to the faith. How many, how many liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons qualify for the standard of leadership we just read about? I don't think very many. Unless you truly believe that if any human be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. If you believe that, then there are some Cretans that qualify for eldership. You see every person every group of persons has their own unique trends and tendencies. Again any of you that have traveled much at all know it's very hard to hide the fact that you're an American when you get outside of America. They pretty well got you pegged. And I've tried to blend in, man. I've tried to fit in and figure it out, you know, and they just go, "Oh, they're American." You know? <laughs> I even put a Canadian flag on my backpack. I thought it might help me a little bit. You know, I, <laughs> Canadians sometimes get a break. I think it's because nobody really knows what a Canadian is. You know, well I don't know, you know. I don't know. Maybe they're good, maybe they're bad. I don't know. You know, I mean, everybody has an opinion about Americans. It's just hard. Every person and every group of persons have tendencies, have trends, they tend to talk in certain ways, they tend to react to situations in certain ways, they have certain expectations. there's just there's just these things of behavior. Paul is not the least hesitant to call that out. I mean, look, he quotes one of their prophets, one of their poets, and he says, "Look at they're a bunch of lazy lion brutes, I mean, I mean that's not a compliment for those of you that haven't figured that out. You know, I don't think you have to study that one in Greek. That's not a compliment in any language. And yet Paul is willing to go, yep, been to that island, <laughs> hung around those people for a while. That's kind of how they behave. That's kind of them. He's willing to call that out, but he is absolutely dedicated to the reality that if any was in Christ, if anyone, including Cretans, They are a new creation and all things become new. As such, all of these new persons, regardless of their rap sheet, regardless of their cultural background, are a uniquely unified culture of people for whom all the old distinctions of humanity no longer apply. What's more, Paul is so convinced of that reality that he tells Titus, Titus, You know all those lazy, glutton, lying, whatevers? Go get some elders out of that group. I am absolutely committed to the transforming work of Jesus Christ. And there are men that qualify. Go find them. So what is it that Theophilus needs to know? Right? Luke is writing this account of the life of Jesus, and he says, Theophilus, you've come to believe that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Let me give you an orderly account of the important things that were said and done during the time Jesus was on the planet. Why did Luke include this this story? What's the Holy Spirit trying to help us with? So I'm going to give you four quick things, and then we're going to resolve that question we talked about at the beginning. First of all, Theophilus, you need to know that everyone is eligible for redemption. Everyone is eligible for redemption. That includes you, includes the people that you love and care for, includes the people you don't love and don't care for. You need to develop a Jesus perspective on yourself and all other humans. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Theophilus, you need to know that. You need to know that. You've been born again into the kingdom of God, into the living church of its Savior, and that is a whole new place, completely different from anything you've ever been a part of, and anybody can get in. Secondly, Theophilus, you should understand and it should be vividly obvious that there is a pre and post distinction for all humans who come into the church. Again, I just reference that verse, if any person, any human be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. It should be obvious to the world that you are not the person you were before you met Jesus. That was so real in the thinking of the early church and I've mentioned this to you before that in the, in the church that was run by the, by the bishop in Egypt during the, the early centuries of the church if you could not bring an unconverted friend so you couldn't bring a fellow Christian from church you had to bring an unconverted friend you had to go find your favorite pagan and bring them to church with you And if that person could testify that they had seen a distinct difference between who you used to be and who you were now, you could be baptized. If you couldn't find a pagan who saw any difference in your life, they wouldn't baptize you. That may be a bit extreme, (laughs) but I think the intention was moving in kind of the right direction. And that is that if you are in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And if something doesn't show up in about newness in you, you probably aren't in Christ. Theophilus, you need to know that. We're talking about a whole new Theophilus. You used to be that guy. You're this guy now. Why? Because Jesus has changed you. You need to understand that. This one's tougher for us that you can acknowledge cultural realities and individual behavior without being prejudiced. You can acknowledge cultural realities and individual behavior without being prejudiced. Paul didn't say, I don't like those people on Crete. He just said, you know, one of their own songwriters, one of their own poets kind of observed his own culture and said, hey, this is kind of who we are. And I'm, I'm assuming that maybe that, you know, that Cretan poet was, you know, bragging. <laughs> wasn't necessarily putting his neighbors down. He was just going, that's who we are, man. <laughs> We're pretty laid back, pretty slow to get things done, tend to overeat and overdrink, pass out. That's kind of us. Woo-hoo. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a Crete version of a country song. <laughs> So we're not even sure that the guy that wrote that was using it as a criticism. But Paul looked at that and said, that's not very Christian. (laughs) So we need some guys that have stepped up, that are no longer acting like the Crete they grew up in, but are acting like the kingdom of God they've been born again into. We need to see that change. Paul was able to make that observation, and he did it without prejudice. He did it without malice. He wasn't mad at anybody wasn't throwing stones, wasn't saying, hey, when I come over to your house, I don't want to have to eat lunch with one of those Cretans." There was nothing prejudice about it at all. He was simply acknowledging a reality. This group of people tends to behave in these ways. Sometimes groups of people, completely by accident, tend to behave like a Christian should. Most of the time, groups of people tend to behave the way a Christian shouldn't. And Paul's just acknowledging that, and he's doing it without prejudice. It's possible to do that. All cultures and all humans require redemption. Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I don't care if your parents were nearly monastic religious zealots and you were born to their family all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or if your mother was a drug-induced prostitute, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And to simply look at a circumstance or a situation or a tendency or a trend and say this tendency either moves you toward Jesus or moves you away from Jesus is not an act of prejudice, it's an act of observation. Now, if you turn that into, and I'm better than people who act like that, and I don't want to associate with people like that, and I'm going to condemn everybody that has a blue hat, because the last three guys with blue hats seem to be a part of the Cretan crew, so if you have a blue hat, if you go there, you're in trouble. Do you see the difference? That you can observe without being prejudiced. And then respond in a positive way to what you see in front of you. Because you see, what we know is the fruit of someone's life, not the cause, not the struggle, not the the destiny. Scripture is very clear man looks on the outside, humans look on the outside, God looks on the heart. Which is why we're called not to judge, but we are called to make evaluations. Bad company corrupts good morals. There's probably some situations you should avoid. Why? You're just looking at the fruit of that situation going, nah, it doesn't seem to be moving me in the direction I'd like to go. It's not a prejudice thing, I'm just making an observation. So where is this line between engaging people who need salvation? Right? Jesus calling Matthew, the tax collector, to be one of his disciples, then going over to Matthew's house and saying, let's get all the tax collectors together and have a party. <laughs> where do you draw the line between engaging people who need salvation and avoiding the bad company that corrupts good morals? Fair enough? Ask the question? I think I have an answer. The answer is found in the direction of the influence. The answer is found in the direction of the influence. Jesus was never influenced. He was always the influencer. Now, I would like to say that I'm so much like Jesus that in every situation, every circumstance, every conversation I'm a part of, I'm always the influencer. That's just not the case. Every one of us at some point has gotten in over our heads, over our depth, are uncomfortable not sure what to do not sure how to respond and pretty soon we try to find ourselves in a place of can i just kind of fit in and get out of here without anybody finding out what an idiot i really am right i mean we've all been there we've all done that and at that moment i'm no longer the influencer i'm I'm just telling you that's the deal I'm, i'm not the influencer anymore when I walk into the office of the CNO of the Navy, Chief Naval, Operator, Chief Naval Officer, the guy in charge, the guy that sits on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So when I go into the Pentagon, I'm already out of my depth because I don't know where I am and I'm following this major around and he's going to take me to this place. He was a Marine, that's why he was a major, not a captain because he was not in the Navy. Okay? I'm following this guy around, I get to this office, you come into the office, they don't know me from, from anybody, but it's because they don't know who I am and they don't dare show disrespect to somebody that deserves it, everybody in the office suddenly stands up. They don't know. I might be a retired admiral they'd never met before. They don't know. I'm just there to see the CNO, who, by the way, actually has a red phone behind his desk (laughs) that, like, works when the bombs go off. There really is such a thing. I just thought I'd tell you that. Totally worthless piece of information, but I just thought I'd tell you that. Walk into this office, everybody stands up. Then they hustle around and they start getting chairs because there's a group of four of us that are there. They could only find three chairs, so one of the guys is still standing in the corner. Finally, I looked over and I said, Dick, if you don't sit down, those people can't go back to work because they're still standing because they don't know who we are. Oh, okay. Found another chair, he sits down. They all sit down, they can go back to work. Then we go into the CNO's office. He's not the least bit impressed that I'm there, but he's very kind, very nice, very respectful, engages us in conversation. It's a wonderful experience. I'm completely impressed with everything that's going on. You know, I'm going, oh my gosh, the guy that walks us to the office is a major for crying out loud. That's pretty cool because outside of this office, that major wouldn't talk to me. I got no rank. I'm looking at that red phone going, oh, I want to try that. <laughs> <laughs> woo let me try that. Huh? <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> well, Dick picks me up at the airport and says, uh, we're going to go to the Secretary of State's house for ice cream. I'm going, what? Really? cool. (laughs) What kind of ice cream? (laughs) You know, how how cool is it? We're walking up to the door, and I said, hey, Dick, like, how many people are watching us right now? And he said, a bunch. And the guys in the house across the street, they have guns. (laughs) Okay, you ring the bell. (laughs) I'm not going to ring the bell. You ring the bell. (laughs) I said Secretary of State. I meant the Attorney General. Sorry. I took it back. Attorney General. We're there eating ice cream shortly after Oregon passed a law that said you could kill yourself if you thought that your life was somewhat terminal and you were unhappy with your circumstances and you kind of wanted to end it well. And suddenly I'm having to defend the electorate of the whole state of Oregon because the attorney general of the United States is looking at me going, what are you people out there thinking? And I'm going, uh, well, um, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> he said, well, I'm telling you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if you want to kill grandma, you can put a pillow over her face, but you're not going to use the drugs that I regulate to kill your grandmother. What do you think of that? You know, and I'm going, um, well, <clears throat> can I have some more ice cream? <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, all of us get ourselves in places where we are out of our depth, we are in over our head, we are intimidated by the circumstance and the situation and the conversation that's happening around us, and all of a sudden, there is absolutely no influence coming from us to anybody. We are just being completely overwhelmed by what's going on. Every lost person in this community needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are only going to hear it if somebody who already knows Jesus goes and talks to them. But not every Christian is eligible to talk to every lost person, because some of you in the midst of that conversation would find yourself out of your depth over your head and the influence would be coming back at you instead of the influence coming from you and at any point where the influence is coming toward you you need to back away now jesus never had to back away right i mean i dare you to intimidate jesus i mean just give it a shot you know really the guy that created the universe The guy who's holding your subatomic particles together so your face doesn't explode like a small nuclear reaction? You're going to intimidate that guy? Are you kidding me? Not a chance in the world. So Jesus could talk to everybody, could be in any situation. Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, hey, bad company corrupts good morals. You get in over your head and the influence starts coming at you instead of coming from you. You need to back out and back away. But you don't do it out of anger. You don't do it out of prejudice. You don't do it because you dislike that person. You do it because you're not qualified. At that moment, you're not qualified. And you just need to back off. But at every moment that you're qualified, don't ever stop talking about Jesus. Don't ever stop talking about Jesus. And I will tell you that some people on paper who don't look like they're qualified sometimes have an amazing influence on other people. When I was a kid we did this little thing and we were supposed to be helping this little church someplace and they were desperately trying to get people to come to church and so they got a bunch of us that were just too dumb to know the difference because we just hadn't had enough birthdays yet and they said, here, take this material and go bang on people's doors because they'll love to have you come over. (laughs) And you should hand them this material and you should tell them about Jesus. And we're going, oh yeah, that's a great plan. Let's do that, you know, so off we go, you know. All these people going, yeah. you know, a guy just got off swing shift and we got him out of bed, you know, <laughs> and he's going, what do you guys?" you know, and all the rest of this stuff. And we're out there trying to do that. I'll never forget this one girl, I can't remember her name, I just remember that she had one arm and one arm that, it, that it either had been amputated or she was born that way, there was nothing below the elbow. That's all I remember about this girl, which is a shame. I think she was, worth, she was worth knowing better than that. But that's all I knew. I'd only met her two days before. She goes up to this door. She bangs on the door. This guy comes out. He's partially dressed and well well lubed up. You know, let's just put it that way. She wants to hand him this Jesus material and talk to him about Jesus. And he cusses at her and starts to slam the door shut. And she yells out, Well, fine, just go to hell then. (laughs) For those of you that don't understand that, that was not part of the training that we received (laughs) before they sent us out there to go knock on doors. It just wasn't part of it. You know what happened? The guy opened up the door and invited him in and accepted Jesus right there in his living room. I just say that to say influence is not something you can figure out mathematically on a piece of paper. At that moment, the influence went from that young lady, 15, 16 years old, to that fairly inebriated, half-dressed guy in the doorway. On paper, who's going to influence who? Who's going to intimidate who? That little girl one. So I'm telling you, don't predetermine where your influence stops. Be smart enough to know, whoa, in this situation, this influence is not good for me. So some of you could go to any bar in town and talk to anybody there about Jesus. Some of you can't get that close to alcohol we're just all different. We're just all different. The influence goes from you, not comes to you. That's how you decide when bad company's corrupting good morals and when everyone needs to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because anybody can be transformed and changed. So last week we talked about who are you willing to tear the roof off for? Who are you willing to do whatever it takes to make sure they hear the gospel? You still thinking about that person? I want you to think about the equation of influence in that situation. Who has the greater influence in that relationship? If you've lost your influence, you've lost your ability to lead them to Jesus. Regain your influence. Fair enough? So Jesus, we're going to ask you to help us to talk to people that we dearly love that need to hear about you. Help us to get this. Christianity isn't about left or right. It's not about conservative liberal. It's not even about masks or no masks. Vaccines or no vaccines. It's about repenting of our sins before our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who works out all that other stuff later. Help us, God, to get back on message. Help us to regain the influence. and Help us begin to share the truth with the people around us. In your name we pray. Amen. You know what I'm going to say? Go be a light in a dark place. Go be a light in a dark place. God bless you.